Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and every week I'll be speaking to some of the brightest and best minds I can find in tech and product, digging into their stories, finding out what it is they do, and hoping that they can share some of their wisdom and advice with me and and with the rest of us. In tonight's episode, Only Falls on Blockchain, we ask the important questions about blockchain and related technologies. What is Bitcoin? What is a blockchain? Are smart contracts really smart? For answers to all these questions and much more, join me on One Night in Product. My guest tonight is David Gerard, who is the uh, award-winning, I hope, author of the cryptocurrency version of A Brief History of Time, which is a 2017 book called Attack at a 50-Foot Blockchain, Bitcoin, Blockchain, Ethereum, and Smart Contracts. So a catchy title. Uh, How are you doing, David? Very well, thank you. Now, I've actually um, known David for for quite a while. Um, In fact, I seem to remember that we shared a holiday cottage in the northern Yorkshire town of Whitby way back when. And I still have this terrifying image in my head of uh, David coming down the stairs in his uh, in his towel. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so David is, um, as I say, an author uh, and uh, a cryptocurrency journalist uh, who I've been following on Twitter for a while and, of course, have read his book. And interested, whilst he's not a product guy specifically, I'm really interested to find out a little bit more about uh, some of the things that he's been working on, some of the challenges of writing about a topic as controversial as crypto and find a little bit about uh, what makes him tick as well. So for my maybe less uh, blockchain inclined listeners, could you maybe start off with, obviously you're, you're a crypto journalist and a celebrity in certain circles. What is blockchain on the elevator pitch version? And I think it's pretty fair to say that you're not a fan. So why, aren't, why are you not a fan? So from a product perspective, um, there's a technical detail there, which is like the short technical version is that a blockchain is based on a Merkle tree, which is a computer science thing. Basically, it's a ledger you can only add new entries to, right? You can only add new things. You can't go back and alter old ones. If you do, people notice immediately. That's obviously really useful. It also wasn't new. Mm-hmm. So... The thing about the thing that is packaged and called blockchain is as something that's marketed to people is it's a whole bunch of promises of magical things that you'll get if you just use a blockchain in your um, exciting product or company. Um, None of the promises ever work out, but um, all the promises came from Bitcoin. So Bitcoin, it's... People have heard of this thing you can invest in, this sort of money on the magical internet money that goes up in price except when it goes down and you lose all your money. What is it? It is absolutely nothing. It's just digital tokens that are actually completely useless, but someone might pay you more money for them. So this results in some bizarre behavior. And then you have, why would anyone do this? And the answer is because Bitcoin people are very weird. (laughs) <laughs> they basically started Bitcoin like Satoshi Nakamoto, who's the guy who invented Bitcoin. Nobody knows who he is. He's completely anonymous, but that was the name he used. He called it Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash. Because, you know, digital money would be useful, right? Like 
you have five quid in your wallet. Um, if I owe you five quid, but you know it's locked down and I'm in this house and you're in that house, how do I get it to you? Wouldn't it be good if we could send it over the internet like we do an email or whatever? So it's not a wrong thing to want. And what the way we do it now is like we go through banks or maybe we go through PayPal or some other sort of centralized mechanism which is backed by a bank or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that works quite well, but it's not very private. Like if I hand you cash, it's no one's business. Um, and if you get, everything goes through your bank, you sort of got the eye of Sauron looking over your finances. So Bitcoin people, they really, really hated governments. All governments. All governments are evil. All regulation is evil. So they wanted money without governments. Um, that could be a tricky one, you know, but they figured they could do it. So what they wanted was a completely decentralized system, no one in authority. And they spent like 20 years trying to work on this thing. And then this guy worked out a way of doing it that was sort of really kludgy and inelegant. As a product, it was terrible, right? But it did this one technical trick of being an exchangeable thing that you couldn't just cut and paste. And so it was like digital unique objects. Um, so, I mean, let's be fair. That was a really interesting achievement. There's the sort of thing a techie would go, that's really cool. Useless, but cool, you know. But um, they were all gung-ho about it because basically they were a weird political cult. And they went, this will be the solution to everything. This will destroy corrupt banks and governments. They actually said it would destroy banks and governments. Um, This will solve the financial crisis because you can't just print money and so forth. And none of this came true. Um, You don't have to trust anyone. So it was trustless. So if you hear about blockchain as a product, they'll throw around trustless a lot. Like what you'll see is you have all these weird promises that came about because a bunch of political nutters decided to invent a weird money-like thing. And what happened was it went up in – firstly, you could exchange it for actual money at some point in 2011. At that point – they immediately discovered why governments and regulation exist because it was like a, if you say this is trustless money with no rules, that's like a bat signal for scammers. Um, so promptly Bitcoin was flooded with scammers because you had all these naive, well-meaning people and all the scammers went, wow, fresh meat. So they got in there and stole their Bitcoins repeatedly. Um, and, you, you know, a lot of these scammers in Bitcoin turned out to be serial scammers. Like you'd have people who'd been convicted of mail fraud or whatever before they got into Bitcoin. So, yeah, there's a lot of sincere people and a lot of crooks. So and the thing with um, blockchain as a, as, a, as a thing is after a while, people started to realize that Bitcoin maybe wasn't all that. Um, but then mm. we started getting this cottage industry in uh, business Bitcoin or just blockchain for other stuff. Yes, exactly. That was literally a thing that happened. Basically, Bitcoin sort of had its first big bubbling crash in 2013. Then in 2014, it was like, oh, no one wants this anymore. How can we sell Bitcoin to business? Yeah, how so, can IBM sell it to business as well, right? Because IBM yeah. are all over this stuff at the moment. So. The Bitcoin unit at JP Morgan went, oh, how can we sell this? We can sell it as blockchain, which is a word that was used inside the Bitcoin community. And it always meant it always meant Bitcoin, right? 
or distributed ledger technology. That was also just another word for Bitcoin, right? Like if you say distributed ledger technology, you might think that was technology about ledgers that are distributed. So you could have shared Excel spreadsheets. Would that count? Totally. But no, when they say blockchain or distributed ledger technology, what it actually is, it's not even a technology. It might be sort of related to it. What they are selling you is a particular package of promises, right? Fabulous promises. If these things were true, it would turn everything upside down and you'd get rich. Mm. So the next question is, yes, but is this true? And the answer to that is no. (laughs) (laughs) I did have the suspicion that you were going to say that. I mean, so one of the things... um, Obviously, from a product perspective and uh, and kind of my world, it's all about solving real end user problems and, and you know, not just picking a solution because it sounds cool, but actually trying to look, doing some user research, understanding who, who you're going after, and giving them the best solution possible for for the problem that they have. I would imagine that what you're going to tell me is that no one ever thought about that. I'm, I'm sure there's loads of product people working with blockchain now. And I, in fact, I know there are because I see them on LinkedIn and, and on, on Twitter. But I'm, I'm assuming that from your perspective, that's not how any of this stuff started. None of it's ever worked out because they were all starting from, I've got a great solution. What's the problem for it? You know, they wanted blockchain. And what they wanted blockchain was, for was almost always because they were a bunch of coiners who had their Bitcoins and their Ethereum and they wanted to pump it and stuff like that. Um, you know, you should always closely question them on their cryptocurrency holdings before you give them any money. Um, so, like, technically, the Bitcoin blockchain is hugely inefficient because the way it decentralizes is to waste electricity as fast as possible. And, like, to the point where Bitcoin alone takes up a whole country's worth of electricity. Yeah, Austria or something, right? Yep. On the world's most inefficient payment network ever in human history. So that's about crime against humanity levels of electricity waste. Um, so for business, that'd be really stupid. So like even more stupid. So what they do is they do a thing called a permissioned blockchain where you take away the decentralization, which was the point of the whole thing. And so what you end up with is a sort of distributed database with a central ultimate administrator who actually runs it. And the distributed nodes all take turns processing stuff. And like I work in IT, I'm a system administrator at a publishing company and like that's called a database. Exactly. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that you could do that in a number of different technologies, you know, distributed or otherwise. You could do it with a Postgres cluster. You know, mm-hmm. it's like there there might be an IT application for a database that works like this, but I've yet to see it. Now, what you actually see, the actual use case for blockchain in the enterprise is selling consulting hours. So back to, back, back to the IBM thing, right? And absolutely and others as well. An IBM in particular need to be called out because like half the press releases on this are just IBM. They're IBM pushing stuff to the newspapers. And if you go back and check the original press release, you'll see the things they do, which is like 
you'll see is statements. The blockchain does the following exciting things. And you go back to the press release, you discover those are could maybe hypothetically and sometime in the future. Um, there's a lot of turning a could into an is. But the thing is, blockchain could is always a th thing that means blockchain doesn't. Because if it did, they'd say blockchain does. And, you know, it doesn't. But so you have these this distributed centrally controlled database that will somehow give you all the magical promises of blockchain and it doesn't um so you need to really watch out for this stuff because it's like it's an excellent way of saving time when you're doing job interviews because if someone's got blockchain on their cv it immediately goes in the other pile but <laughs> um or maybe you could talk to them about it i don't know but <laughs> it's um it's not good and it doesn't actually work very well and it doesn't achieve anything there are real-world systems that use blockchains, right? It is a data store, sort of. You can use it as a back end of a system, and you'll have a system. And maybe that system will be better than having no system at all. <laughs> um, so you have things that IBM has heavily promoted, like the Walmart um, supply chain blockchain of the Maersk, the world's biggest shipping company, have got one as well. Both of those are centrally run by the companies. They live on the IBM cloud. And the back-end system that, where the data is is um, IBM Hyperledger. And it's like it's just like having a database at the back-end. You as the user do not care. It's like yeah. trying to care really, really hard about the shape of the cylinders inside your car when you just want to go from your house to um, Lakeside, you know. <laughs> uh, and we all, know, we all know how much I know about cars based on uh, that, that Medium article that I put well, up. Well, they are powered by dinosaurs. I, that was the <laughs> best picture I've seen in a Medium article in some time. But, like, if you're told this car is better because it runs on blockchain, you'd go, why? And then you might regret that because they'd probably tell you. So, yeah, and that's, that's, <laughs> that is fair. But also I think that you touched on an interesting point because uh, there is – like one of the big use cases that keeps getting touted now that I see uh, when when I'm slouching around on the internet is uh, like smart contracts and the kind of automated uh, payments of stuff when conditions happen, which I guess in theory sounds kind of cool, it, but at the same time it, it it feels to me like actually paying a contract is not necessarily. I mean, I know that there are obviously plenty of contract uh, disputes, but most of those aren't over simple things like if this then that. Smart contract is one of those terrible marketing words. It's like um, it is, they're not smart and they're not contracts, you know. <laughs> it's literally a computer program that runs on a blockchain triggered when something happens. It runs this little if-then-else program, right? Now, it turns out computers are really hard to make do anything useful because computers are terrible and don't work. <laughs> I'm a professional. I know that computers are terrible and they don't work. So what happens with this is that, um, like, if you wanted to get technical, the way that a smart contract work is what in enterprise computing we call database triggers or stored procedures. So any database administrator will tell you those are a friggin' nightmare <laughs> to administer, to do anything with. You can't program them because they're really hard to think about and the effects are magical and you can have stuff just, you can have your database eat itself if you get something wrong. The blockchain world thinks this is a feature. But they like <laughs> the phrase smart contract because it like shoves the hard bit over to a side. Um, I have seen like 
initial coin offering white papers where they have like a bunch of things that on the left, a bunch of users at the right, and in the middle is a great big box and written in this smart contracts. You know, it's like, and then magic happens. <laughs> um, so that sounds like I'm being all cynical and just negative about it, but there's a reason for that because it's actually rubbish. So <laughs> it's like smart contracts, they're just programs, and programs have bugs, lots of bugs. And smart contracts, the original idea of smart contracts was they would be unchangeable. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, given, given, I mean, I'm, I'm a former developer myself, and, and given some of the bugs that I've ended up releasing into production in my time, um, I think the, the thought of having immutable code going up into the, into the blockchain and, and running would, would be terrifying. But surely the only way around that is to make the code not immutable. So I've seen some stories about, for example, where you would uh, offset or put the code somewhere else and yeah, yeah. trigger it from your blockchain. But then, but then the code isn't, isn't immutable and therefore no. it's even less of a contract than the non-contract that you're already talking about. Yes. it's um, So they made them just hard to fix instead of impossible to fix. <laughs> and what that meant was that uh, – because if you have an impossible to fix contract, in security terms, it's a sitting duck, right? I mean, they had this on Ethereum in 2016, the DAO, the Distributed Autonomous Organization unchangeable the unstoppable power of immutable code that's like they literally said the words unstoppable power of immutable code they released it and within four days it was hacked <laughs> 50 million dollars gone so that was really dumb and you can't reverse that because it's on the blockchain right so Absolutely. You, can't, you can't even get the money back because they all this thing about um Oh yeah, I don't. I don't want any of my any of my transactions to be managed by a central authority. I, I guess people probably think that a little bit less when all their money's just been taken out of an exchange or out of a out of their crypto wallet somehow. So it turns out in the real world, reversibility is like a really good feature. And <laughs> yeah, I mean they did that with pencils, and and it's been going strong ever since. Yeah, um, like bank <laughs> banking and stuff for consumer payments. People want reversibility because mistakes happen. Crooks happen. Um, when they tried to get people to adopt touch cards, people wouldn't go near them until they had like amazing degrees of reversibility where you could dispute a transaction, you'd just get your money back, that sort of thing. Um, like people get really worried about their money for some reason. Yeah, who would have thought, huh? <laughs> exactly. And um, so the um, trouble with the irreversibility of blockchain was because of the irreversibility of Bitcoin, which was also that the government couldn't take your money in taxes. But that's part of the point, right? Because people want to protect themselves and it almost feels to me slightly like the, the, the guy in a shed at the top of a mountain with his shotgun kind of, and a thousand tins of baked beans wanting to be kind of the, it's kind of a libertarian type thing yeah. where you, you just want to be you don't want the government to be able to touch you it's a bunch of silicon valley programmers wishing they were that guy <laughs> i mean i'm sure that guy has a good life but it's uh i don't know it just it just feels a little bit different to, to what it says on you know not necessarily the bean tin but certainly the, the the blockchain tin exactly um so you know he can have his um beans and his gun and his bitcoins but for the rest of us who like living who thinks society is pretty good actually they're not so useful yeah i'm just surprised and maybe naively surprised in the sense that it probably does exist but that we haven't had some kind of blockchain backed uh, covid uh, solution 
already come, coming out that yeah, maybe there is. God, they've been there, there's been scammers trying to push this stuff. We <laughs> there was actually someone trying to put a law into place in California that all COVID nineteen tests should be put on a permanent blockchain. You know, for decentralized auth- accountability. Um, so this was absolutely the worst idea I've ever heard, and um, <laughs> it's not going ahead. So that's good. Um, <laughs> I mean, in terms of product, um, as a product to try to use cryptocurrencies, they're a pain in the butt because the irreversibility makes everything about them suck as products. If someone comes up to your business and tries to sell you on blockchains, um, you have to, like, I've got in the book a whole chapter on this, and questions to ask them like does your thing actually do all of the things you promise now not in six months or 18 months (laughs) or 10 years like you have to be really harsh on is versus could you have to be harsh on what does this get me um you have to be harsh on why does this do better than not using a blockchain And be very, very specific with accountables and so forth. Because um, there is literally no case that a blockchain does better than non-blockchain solutions, except running a cryptocurrency. And if that's what you want to do, you've got problems I can't help you with. <laughs> uh, this, this, of course, would all be be really ironic when, when it turns out in, in six months' time that you're releasing your own uh, David Gerard-backed cryptocurrency. Which, uh... I mean, I was talking to my wife about this while I was writing the book. I said, why am I doing this book rubbish? I could start an ICO and no. But it can be totally <laughs> no. But, <yeah. laughs> um, so, um, but that's an interesting point, right? So you're a Unix systems administrator in a, uh, uh, an undefined industry that we can't talk about. So again, that just makes me think that you, that you could well be Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, but, but how does a Unix system administrator get into writing a book about blockchain? What made you do that? I mean, I mean, following these guys for a number of years just because I like really dumb internet things that are stupid <laughs> and fascinating. And this is absolutely all of that. And then around 2016, I was thinking, oh, I need some money. And I was talking to a friend who writes lots of Doc2 episode guides, which is like has a certain niche. And um, they said, write a book. I said, what about? Why Bitcoin is stupid. <laughs> Make it 15,000 words, spend about a week, don't work too hard. So 55,000 words, nine months and 400 footnotes later, I had a book. In the meantime, and the book sold quite well. Like it hasn't actually won any awards, but it's got some pretty good uh, reviews. It's sold about 10,000, 11,000 copies now, which is an amazing number for a self-published book. But basically, yeah. it came out July 2017, which was just as the Bitcoin bubble was going up. And there was like three critical books ever. And I was the third, right? And um, so it sold quite well. And uh, because people wanted a book that wasn't all, rah, rah, Bitcoin's mm-hmm. awesome. And my book was actually, Bitcoin is sucky. So, yeah. yeah. And um, since then, I started a blog um, so I write about this stuff. I freelance about it. Um, I'm trying to write more books. At the moment, I'm working on the history of Facebook's planned failed cryptocurrency, Libra, which like, basically the original idea just crashed and burned. Um, they're still saying they're going to do a new version. 
I'll I think they'll probably get something out that they'll call Libra, but they've already thrown away the original idea. So it's a really interesting study in how a huge successful company can do something really stupid that endangers the company. Because, I mean, I guess you could argue that Facebook have got probably enough money to throw away at, at vanity products and projects, but it just, yeah, I, I, I can understand why they probably want to keep you in their ecosystem. It just feels that they could probably just, they could probably just do that in a more traditional way, right? So, Libra is really fascinating because everyone was looking at these plans and all their Libra white papers and so on that made no sense, and it was like, is this a product? Is this a proposal? What is it? But you don't. But so the whole thesis is that I've got is that Libra was basically started by four Bitcoiners. They wanted to have Bitcoin, but they wanted it to be run by sensible people. You know them, and um, them and their mates. They convinced Mark Zuckerberg, who um, I think he saw the chance for Facebook has been wanting to get a payments for years, and he thought this is a chance to get in the payments. I can get all the juicy data. And, oh, well, they um, do love data. I mean, he loves his data. <laughs> so he swore blind that he definitely wouldn't touch any of the data from Libra. But basically, and I'm sure the Libra team are actually all seem to be quite honest people. I think they're wrong, but they're honest, you know, and decent, normal people. Zuckerberg, on the other hand, has a long documented history of saying he'll keep people's privacy, then violating it over and over and getting busted, having to do consent decrees and then busting those. And um, so I would assume that his goal is to get the data. Whatever he says, his goal is to get the data because that's always been his goal ever. Yeah, I always assume that if Facebook are doing anything, it's to uh, to build their, put more stuff in their data link. So I definitely think you're right there. But just back back to the, the book and obviously mm. take, taking this uh, – kind of decision to, to, to effectively stick your neck out and be, as you say, one of the first really prominent kind of anti-blockchain, uh, anti-Bitcoin uh, authors. You must have got a lot of uh, blowback from that, from the community. I mean, it's a fairly passionate community of, of, of cryptocurrency fans out there. And I mean, do you get a lot of, uh, a lot of abuse from them or do they kind of just uh, treat you as the kind of the devil's advocate in the corner that's kind of a nice person to just laugh at? I mean, how's that been for you? So the online ones are a bit extreme because they're online. So everyone's an asshole online, except for us because we're lovely. But um, <laughs> We're not online yet. I've not, rec- I've not, I've not uploaded it yet. So. <laughs> um, the, um, so there were a lot of nutters online. And then I, when the book came out, I started meeting them in real life. And I was, <laughs> they were quite normal and nice they were like they were much more optimistic than me, but they were reality based, you know. Mm. And I was actually surprised. A lot of Bitcoin people liked the book a lot because it was based in reality, and like I cited my sources and stuff like that. It was not boost a historical boosterism, you know, where the only consistent Bitcoin ideology for ages has been number go up. You know, we might get rich one day for free. And we will say anything whatsoever to make this happen. So, um, yeah, it's been interesting. And so my stuff is good, so they keep reading it. Mm-hmm. I guess also in a way, I mean, if we sort of flip it through the product lens again, I mean, assumptions are there to be tested, right? If we go back to the kind of the, the lean movement and the 
kind of MVP and and, mm. and sort of validated learning and stuff. It's like in a way, in a way, it's almost good to have someone pushing back on you because it it forces you to defend your ideas. So I can understand Absolutely. certain types of. I'm, I'm sure there's got to be certain types of of kind of crypto uh, fans that would just not ever do that because they're so dyed in the wool. But I'm I'm assuming that as you say, it's it's not unreasonable to think that people would be interested in having their, their assumptions tested and be able to then develop their own reposts, I guess. And I guess that then gives you a chance to develop your counter reposts and, and so forth. So the fencing match goes forward. It's somewhat. Um, one thing that I notice in cryptocurrency is that people cycle through it at a rate of about once every 18 months. <laughs> like they buy in, they believe it, they tell me exactly how great it is and I should really read Satoshi's white paper then they lose all their money and they disappear. Um, <laughs> the next or, exchange gets hacked and then, and then they come back with their tail between their legs. Um, or they tell me all about how Bitcoin is just like the early internet and how much the internet sucked in the 1990s. And off, I, I, There's nothing better on the internet than having people tell me all about what the internet was like when I was using it before they were born. <laughs> it's very special. Yeah. So, yeah. you know... Um, and of course, this is another product thing. It's like there's one thing like the Gartner hype cycle where it has this hero's journey of technology where you go up in the hype and then you go down to the trough of disillusionment. <laughs> but then you recover into the plateau of productivity when what actually happens is you hit the trough of disillusionment because your product sucks. Then you go down the drain of dumbass into the sewer of stupidity where your product belongs because it sucked. <laughs> and most technologies fail. Most technologies don't go anywhere because for all sorts of reasons. They might have been a terrible idea. They might have been a good idea that didn't work out at the time. They might have just not been able to compete in the market. Sometimes technologies fail and then they come back flash memory was invented and it didn't really go anywhere because it was way too expensive for a long time mm -hmm. somehow then it just got a bit cheaper and now flashes everywhere solar cells are the same solar power was too expensive and people couldn't be bothered with it but then it hit that point inflection where solar is now actually cheaper than all oil and coal but the main problem is having big enough batteries or whatever um, stuff like that. So little things can, technologies can come back from um, the wastelands, but um, it's rare and it, it's all very, very contingent is the thing I'm trying to say. Most technologies don't go anywhere. The hard part's trying to work out which ones will. So just because something sucks now doesn't mean it'll have great success in five years. Yeah, I guess there's a certain point where you feel that your experiments probably failed, right? I mean, again, if you go to your kind of your, your lean sort of validated learning, oh, yeah. what did I learn? Oh, I learned that it sucked. Okay, so I tried to do this different thing. Oh, that sucked too and, and so forth. But yep. actually what I'm taking from what you said is that I should really start buying Bitcoin in about five years' time when it's going to be cool and good. Absolutely not. <laughs> but... Uh... Um, the other thing is that a lot of these people bought like when it was like expensive in 2017 and they're still stuck with these Bitcoins. Oh, they, yeah, those guys are screwed, right? I mean, they don't want to admit their money's gone because it's a product that literally has no use. The only thing you can do with it is wait for someone who wants to buy it from you. So they're basically waiting for even bigger suckers. So the way that the Bitcoin maximalists encourage them is saying hold or hodl. Yeah, hodl, hodl. Uh, which basically means. Um, just don't complain and pretend that you're not <laughs> your money is not gone. 
Um, and maybe you'll be able to sell them later. Who knows? It might bubble up again. I mean, I always thought that Bitcoin would sort of come back a few years afterwards because there's nothing for it to do except bubble. Mm-hmm. And it's like there are some people who are life suckers, right? We all know someone like this, someone who's always got a scheme going on, right? Uh, they're going to get rich this time. Whoops, they lost everything. They're going to get rich this time, you know? They might get one. They get rich for about six months and then they blow it all again. Like 20 years ago, they would have been buying ostrich farms and in 2017, <laughs> they bought Bitcoins. All I'm thinking now is like uh, Only Fools and Horses and, and Del Boy and how many um, fake Russian Bitcoins he'd have in his flat. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely, exactly like that. <laughs> so I know um, we've we've kind of had a, a really quick sweep through, and and um, we'll be drawing to a close soon. But I'd be really interested if we step away from Bitcoin and blockchain and and all of that nastiness and that, that we've just been wallowing in. Um, what um, what is one technology? I mean, I know that you say that you're kind of there keeping track of exciting new technologies as well as advising against the bad ones. So what's a new technology that, that actually does look attractive to you, like something that you would like to either see succeed or think could succeed? Ooh, I actually don't have anything springing to mind. So we've, we're done. We've, we've, we've basically got as much technology as we need, and, and, and that's it. I would like laptops to get smaller and faster and lighter. <laughs> I like I have two laptops, right? I have the one which I have fun on, which is like the high-powered corporate beast X390 with like four CPUs, eight threads, 32 gig of RAM. And I've got this little netbook, which is really cute and really light, and it's really slow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember netbooks. They didn't, they didn't last very long, did they? I think they got replaced by big phones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this one is basically a netbook again. It's like they actually got replaced by Chromebooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Google and Chromebooks are great. They're like really popular. They're just a simple, cheap and cheerful laptop that does the job. And um, they're very much user-focused. As products, they're great. Mm-hmm. So what happened was Microsoft went, hmm, Chromebooks, competition, better deal with this. So they got PC makers to make, Windows-based netbooks again. Oh, geez. So this is this little thing. It's got like a single seller on at 1.1 gigahertz, and it's got 4 gig of RAM. It came with Windows 10S, which is an abomination, (laughs) and I wiped it. I put Linux on it, and it's a little bit faster than it was with Windows, but it's still an absolute slug. And it's really good for writing on. So (laughs) that's what I use. I guess you can't can't run too many things on it once, so it's kind of... Exactly. just, just monotasking. Is it? It's like me. So I, I, I read a lot of books because yeah, I'm, I'm living up to that uh, LinkedIn cliche. Um, but uh, and I was reading them a lot on my phone. But I found with the phone that I and you know my phone's almost the same size as my Kindle. But um, I find myself you know just getting notifications and swiping around. Whereas my Kindle just does basically it's a book. almost one. Yeah, it does almost one thing, um, and and it just means that you can just put your phone down exactly. Sit down and, just have a step. So basically what we're saying is that the, the future of technology, if, if any, if old folk like us have anything to go by, should be simplicity and, and monotasking again. The essential point is to have something that basically doesn't, the, the, at the moment, consumer technology is absolutely heavy on really, really sucking so it can sell you ads. Mm, And that is true. Yes. If you get rid of all the, uh, advertising and trash on top then suddenly you have a product that doesn't suck mm-hmm. and maybe you might switch on the ads sometimes but um it's not in your face with it so you know it's um 
So things that basically annoy me less because, you know, I know a lot about computers and computers are actually just annoying and difficult to use because they're designed by people for people and people are annoying and <laughs> difficult. So computers are extensions of ourselves, which means they're extensions of our annoyance capacity. And that's why everything is terrible. So your book on Facebook is in progress? It is indeed in progress. Any 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 landing uh, landing date yet? Or No, but I hope to have it out sooner rather than later. I've been what I've been doing is trying to get myself to write by doing a daily Twitter thread of how many words I'm at. Having to uh, not disappoint having not trying not to type zero words today. That's the main thing. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. But um, today I have the excuse I was doing a podcast, of course. Well, there you go. And uh, I, I hope that it's as uh, as satisfying to you as uh, as as writing ten thousand words or however many. I don't know how much how many words is a good number of words to do in a day, but I'm assuming it's more than zero. More than zero is a good number. <laughs> okay, and where can uh, where can our happy listeners who have now desperate to find out more get get in touch with you if they want to continue the, the discussion should they come to twitter should, should they come to your blog anywhere else they should find you i've got the blog i've got the twitter which i spend about 16 hours a day on <laughs> um if you type in david gerard bitcoin you'll find me if you type in david gerard you'll probably find me first because i like have been on the internet since the 90s so <laughs> i own the search space i own the keyword just by organic SEO. Ah, see, well, I'm I'm lucky because uh, when when you try and search, well, lucky or unlucky, depending on your use case. But um, there's at least two more famous Jason Knights than me. So uh, uh, you'll get there. You'll yeah, get one there. day, one day. When 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 this podcast breaks uh, twenty listeners or something like that, then then maybe I'll uh, start to slip up uh, the the charts a bit. But so there's a footballer and a wrestler. So I think I'm, I've got I've got some way to go yet. Cool. Well, it's been really uh, really great to chat obviously and, and catch up obviously it's been a been a while since we've seen each other face to face even before covid so hopefully we can tip a beer at some point and uh, and and catch up properly but it's been a really interesting chat and uh thanks very much for for joining in thank you one day beers will exist again I, one I, day. I, I live and dream of the day <laughs> thanks for listening now, I should point out that I'm not really a detractor or advocate for Bitcoin, blockchain or any of these technologies. I'm just a curious product person interested in testing the assumptions and making sure that they're solving a real problem. If you're passionate about blockchain and are using that in your products or in your solutions and you want to come on and give a rebuttal to the points we've heard today, I'm more than happy to listen to you and give you a fair hearing. I've got no agenda at all. So please, feel free to contact me at onenightinproduct.com in any case, again, thanks for listening. It means a lot to me to have your attention, and I hope to have it again. We'll be speaking to more fascinating people as the weeks go by and releasing every Sunday. If you want to keep in touch, please feel free to hit the website, uh, leave a comment uh, or a rating on the podcast app of your choice, and of course, feel free to subscribe for more quality content. Thank you, and good night.